Good morning, everybody. Happy one week early Easter. Good to see everybody. See some new faces today. I want to say welcome. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, so if this is your first time, we just want to love on you today and let you know we have a philosophy here at Vertical Life Church. We believe everyone matters to God, which means you matter. We're thankful that you chose to spend some time with us. And, uh, and so we're actually kicking off a little mini-series here. Normally we teach through different subjects and, and even different books of the Bible. And so we go through different teaching series. And we're going to do a, a little mini-series of the next three weeks. So this is week one. I invite you to continue to come back and be with us for the next two weeks in Easter and then the week after through the series. And I'm sure it's going to be a blessing uh, to your heart. Uh, but for today... We are going to uh, be getting into a, an interesting subject. Uh, the series is called Habitudes. Somebody say Habitudes. Right? Not ha- just habits or attitudes, but Habitudes. See, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is profitable for any stage of life, no matter what you're going through, no matter circumstance or situation. God has promised in His Word that when we engage with His Word, that it will not return void, which means it will not be without an effect. God's Word has an effect on our lives. And so we're going to look at our habitudes. This is uh, something that affects all of us. And we're going to look at what the Word of God has to say to help us in our everyday lives. This is going to be kind of a more practical message than deep theology. But I believe that uh, what God has prepared on my heart today is going to be a benefit for all of us. And uh, so we're going to get right in today. Uh, As humans, you may not have known this, but as humans, we are creatures of Habit, creatures of habit. In uh, on the website helpingyouengineeryourfuture.com, in an article entitled "Using the Power of Habit to Work Smarter," the author states this. He says habits are involuntary behaviors controlled by the subconscious mind. How much of what we do is habitual? Studies by neurobiologists, cognitive psychologists, and others indicate that from forty to 95% of all human behavior, how we think, what we say, our overall actions falls into the habit category. If we were to select a conservative 50%, we would have to say that we are on automatic pilot nearly half of the time, 50% of the time. That's astonishing that at least half of our lives, we're just coasting. We're just on autopilot going through life, not really in control, that our everyday life could be summarized literally as one big habit. And I totally relate to this. My wife and I, we recently moved uh, at the end of last year, and you know, we're still unpacking boxes. It's a never-ending process. But uh, you know, we were smart, and we decided right when we moved in, hey, let's remodel the only bathroom with a shower in it. So we, uh, we busted the walls out, pulled the shower out, pulled the sink out, we're tiling the floor. I know some of you even helped us in that mess. We appreciate that. But uh, we, we were living out of boxes and out of garbage, you know, in the upstairs bathroom that whole time because there's only one shower in the house. So we kind of had to be in the mess until we got it all situated. And uh, here the last few weeks, we've got it completely almost finished. There's some finishing touches yet, but uh, it's very livable. And so much so that my wife was able to reorganize all the drawers and cabinets in the vanity. So everything's in its nice little place. And today, I still find myself whenever I'm getting ready and I know, okay, where's my deodorant? Where do I go? I go to the junk drawer where I had everything stashed the last three months. I know where my wife's placed it. It's in the lower cabinet in the little organizer. I know right where it is. I I know. But when I go to get it, where do I reach? The top cabinet where I had everything thrown in when I was organizing it. So it's just something that we do. And, and, And I can see this. And I feel dumb even opening that cabinet knowing that I know where it is. 
mean, think about this. Have you ever been driving in your car and all of a sudden you start daydreaming a little bit? Or maybe a song comes on and you're, it, it's your jam and you're just getting into it. Man, all of a sudden you stop seeing the road, you see a stage with a crowd of 20,000 people and you're just belting it out, right? You're just going nuts. And, and all of a sudden when that daydream is over, you're pulling into your driveway and you have no idea how you got there. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, it's scary, right? That's so scary to think, how did I get, I, I don't even know, like, th that's crazy. Who did I kill on my way home? It's a scary feeling. Why does that happen? It's because when our conscious mind disconnects from our body, our subconscious mind takes over. It's a scientific, neurobiological thing. It's a very real thing. Our natural instincts kick in in any given situation, and we go on autopilot. Researchers have indicated that even when we are focused in even highly alert or strenuous situations, even conversations with other people, we're still operating on habitual responses. This is why our military and our, and our law enforcement officers are trained to the point that they react instinctively in any given situation. So that when a high intense situation, when the normal fight or flight sequence uh, kicks in and we would either you know, do something out of fear, uh, normally to survive, they act the opposite. They act according to their training so that they work towards the success of the mission or the success of that situation. This is why they're trained in the way they are. So even in high intense situations, they have the right responses because we are creatures of habit. Charles Duhigg in his book, The Power of Habit, it's a great book. It's a New York Times bestseller. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you to pick it up. He cites that researchers at MIT have discovered something that's called the habit loop. We should have an image of that coming up here. Uh, God wired us for pleasure. As human beings, God has wired us for pleasure, not just sexual pleasure, but in, to enjoy all of his creation. When you read the book of Genesis and you see all the different days God created the world after every day except for Monday, because even God hates Mondays. You can look it up. I'll prove it to you. Every day but Monday, God said was good. Right? Why? Because it was pleasurable. It's good. And, and when he created mankind, his crowning achievement, he created us to enjoy all of his creation. He wants to, to enjoy everything from what we eat to what we drink to the people we know, what we see, taste, touch, smell. Everything was created for our enjoyment. And we are wired to enjoy pleasure. And habits are created in order to help you achieve a given result. This result is what researchers call a reward. A reward equals pleasure. Rewards are pleasure. And your brain remembers how you achieved those rewards or that pleasure and begins to build routines and triggers within your mind, within the neurons of the brain to propel you towards working towards those desired rewards to achieve pleasure. This is what scientists call the habit loop. Now, the habit loop is comprised of three different parts. There is the cue, the routine, and the reward. The cue is what sparks the whole process into motion. It could be anything and everything from a thought, a feeling, uh, an emotion, a time of day, a sight, a sound, a smell, etc. So I, I, I know I'm extremely habitual, probably borderline crazy, but uh, at night, I can tell you when it's 10.30 to 11 o'clock without even looking at my watch. How do I know this? Because my body begins to shut down on me. 
My eyes begin to get heavy. I start feeling tired. And I know, man, it's, it's time for me to go to bed. Why? It's because I've developed a habit that's telling my body, okay, now it's time to start this process. And so I've got this cue uh, at night. And we have all sorts of triggers and cues like this all throughout the day. We may not even know we're being cued or triggered. How many of you are at work and you sit behind a desk or maybe you, you have a certain location? And at some point in the day, usually around the same um, you know, time of day, you leave that station and you go use the restroom. You may not even have to go, but something within you is saying, hey, go to the restroom. And so you get up and go and, and you go and come back and, and you don't even really think anything of it. Or maybe you get up and part of your daily routine is going to the snack machine and getting a snack or to the cupboard or whatever the case is. You may not even be hungry, but something inside of you says, hey, go look for something to eat. Much of what we do throughout the day our habits. We do it without even really thinking about it. And cues are what trigger those habits into motion. The second part of the habit loop is called the routine. This is the process or the behavior that's implemented during the habit. It's what acquires the reward, like getting up and walking to the restroom or going to the snack machine and buying a snack or soda, calling someone on the phone at a specific time during the day, or getting out your phone to play games at specific times during the day. Cues trigger the routines into motion. The routine is the mechanism that your habit utilizes to achieve the reward. And then lastly, you have the reward. The reward is the desired result. It is the part where your brain and its pleasure center craves the most. This is what it's desiring. And rewards, when they are achieved, that information is stored in your brain. Your brain says, I like this. Let's do this again. And therefore, a habit loop is created. It's created to enable you to reacquire that reward anytime the cue is triggered. The brain craves rewards as a coping mechanism to uh, dealing with all kinds of emotional stress and situations, mental fatigue. This is why your brain might cue you uh, to go to the restroom. Why do you think, you know, at any given time during the day, you might get up at the same time to go to the restroom? Well, you might be feeling antsy or a little bored, and that's the cue to get you to launch that habit into motion. Why are you feeling the necessity to go get a snack? It might be because you're feeling a little uh, emotional distress or sad, and the moment that sugar hits your taste buds, your brain comes alive and says, yes, I like this, and that feeling of pleasure is enough to uh, relieve that feeling of emotional distress. Um, this is why uh, we have these rewards to help alleviate or use as coping mechanisms. Our brains thrive on these rewards and create habit after habit after habit in order to reproduce those rewards throughout the day. And this is important as we look at our interactions with people, with our relationships throughout the day and in our everyday life, especially with the issues that we wrestle with, because I believe we can identify that much of the strife and struggle that we encounter can also be traced to negative habits. Because negative habits produce negative results. And because the rewards associated with those negative habits, though they make us, may make us feel better, they have negative consequences in the world around us and in the lives of other people. And these negative consequences come against God's will for our lives and the plans and blessings that he has in store. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus makes a very powerful statement. He tells us the reason why he came. Jesus said, he said, my purpose is to give them, that's you, a rich and satisfying life. This can also be translated in another translation as an abundant life or a life overflowing. Jesus came into this world not just to die on the cross for our sins, which, 
I might add, would be enough if that's all he did. That would be enough. But he came to do more than that. Our God is a generous God. He is a giver. And he came not just to give us a pathway to salvation, but to help provide us a blessed life here in this life. Not just a blessed eternal life, but a blessed, incredible, rich, and satisfying life in this life. And God has a plan in how he was going to help us accomplish that rich and satisfying life for those who believe. Romans 8, 29, Paul the Apostle says to the church of Rome, he says, God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become just like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You and I, we were meant to or chosen to become just like Jesus. And what was Jesus like? Well, he's perfect. He had no fault. And that's a tall order for sinners such as you and I. I don't know how many mistakes I made before I got here this morning, but I'm sure there was a few, right? I mean, it's a tall order to be perfect like Christ. But I praise Jesus that because of his death and resurrection and through placing our faith and trust in him, that he gives us the power to be transformed. He gives us his Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the apostle John says this. It says, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit for power to help us overcome our sinful nature, our habitually sinful programming that we inherited from our parents, Adam and Eve, and to help change us into living an abundant life. Romans 12, 2, Paul says to the church of Rome, says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So while we walk this journey of faith, as we get to know God more, as we get to know our Savior more, it's like looking in a mirror. The more we know him, the more we get to see the reflection of ourselves, to know what ourselves are like, and see the behaviors that we've been uh, living out in this life, how we copy the behaviors and customs of the world. And this awareness, as we get to know Jesus more, will not only help us see what we've been doing, but it'll give us the knowledge to make the necessary changes. So we begin living according to God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The will that brings about a rich and satisfying life, a life of blessing. But what does Paul the Apostle say that we need to do to ensure that that happens to, before we can live that rich and satisfying life and have that transformed life? It says right there in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said, let God transform you how? By changing the way you think. You got to change the way you think. So could it be that the knowledge of God, when applied to our lives, is meant to change our habitually sinful nature, which leads to brokenness and dysfunction, to a habitually holy nature that leads to a rich and satisfying life, to a life of blessing? So just like that military personnel or our law enforcement officers, when we're faced with even the most intense temptations and situations that we make naturally instinctive choices to honor God and therefore experience a life that is rich and satisfying. Just maybe. See, the blessed life is not just about behavior modification. It's not just about religious participation. No, it's about a relationship with God. But the more you get to know God, the more you get to see yourself and the more aware about what needs to change, 
comes to fruition in your life. To some degree, I believe that behavior modification could be part of the equation because through that relationship with Jesus and through the power of his Holy Spirit, he empowers us to take control of our sinful nature and walk according to his perfect will and purposes. Let's look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Paul says this. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest missionaries of the church, began to spread the gospel throughout Asia and the known world. Says that I train my body, that includes the brain, in all of its functions, how I think, how I act, how I respond, how I feel. I train my body to do what it should. Otherwise, I might be disqualified. See, it's one thing to say what is right, but it's another thing to actually do it. Here, Paul says it takes discipline to train himself, not just himself, but his very own body to do what's right, or else he'll be found to be a hypocrite and not worthy of the honor of the position that he has in Christ. This process of getting to know God more and to getting to see yourself the way it is and make changes to honor and glorify God, it's a lifelong journey. But how do we do that? How do we change from being habitually sinful to being habitually holy? Well, Charles Duhigg, in his book, The Power of Habit, he talks about keystone habits. These are habits that if you were to alter them just slightly, it would begin to radically transform a person's life or even a company's organization. Have you ever uh, seen online those videos of people who set up those domino courses? I mean, it looks like it took them like 10 years to set it up. I mean, I know I used to do that as a kid. I'd get like five done and I'd knock one over and I'd be like, oh, now start all over. You know, but these guys, they have these huge domino sets and then they knock one over. Then after they hit the first one, it's not long that all the rest of them begin to fall and it becomes like this beautiful work of art. Well, this is what keystone habits are just like. You knock one keystone habit over and it begins to have a dramatic effect in other areas of your life. Other areas begin to fall in place soon after. The first and most important keystone habit that we can turn over, we can knock over, or we can change in our life is trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This is the first and most important, following him as Lord rather than trying to be Lord of our own selves. But not only trusting Jesus as Lord, but Paul says in order to have that transformed life, we have to change the way we think, which means we need to feed our minds new information than what is natural to us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So not only do we need to change what we believe in, but also where we go for wisdom, guidance, and instruction. The second keystone habit that we need to implement in our lives is going to the Word of God to learn what is good, pleasing, and perfect, what is holy, as we partner with God's Holy Spirit to identify these sinful habits that exist and work to overcome them. Charles Duhigg in his book gives a formula on how to change habits from bad habits into good habits, and this plan comes in four steps. If you have your worship guide with you, there's a little space there for notes. You can jot this down. It's very helpful, or I, again, I suggest picking the book up. The very first step in changing a bad habit into a good habit is, number one, identify the routine. 
What is the behavior that you want to change? Maybe uh, you eat a little too much at the buffet like myself, or there are other things that, uh, that need to, to be changed that you know right offhand. Identify what it is that needs to change. The routines are implemented to achieve reward. So identify what that is. Is it overeating? Is it lashing out with a quick temper? Is it being easily offended when people bring issues to you or making rash and impulsive decisions? The second thing that you need to do is experiment with rewards. If the reward you're receiving is bringing brokenness or dysfunction in your life, experiment with replacing it with a positive reward to satisfy those cravings or emotional needs. Try exchanging one thing for another. If you keep getting up through the day and going to the snack machine and eating junk, change that by going to talk to people instead and make an emotional connection. If it's to, you know, uh, you know get up and uh, uh, smoke a cigarette and you want to quit smoking, you know, go for a walk or go for a jog. Do something that's a little bit more beneficial. Experiment with different rewards to see if how they satisfy the cravings. Number three, isolate the cue. Find out what is triggering you. If it's the time of day, if it's an emotion, if it's a song, a room temperature, something that you've worn that reminds you of things, triggers unleash unhealthy behaviors. And that when you become aware of what your triggers are, you can begin to do something proactive against it. So bring, you know, keep a little pad of paper with you and jot down when you're starting to feel uh, that habit come on, jot down how you're feeling, what you're thinking about, what's going on in your life to isolate what your cues are. And then number four, finally, have a plan. Anticipate your triggers and be ready to follow a different routine toward a different reward so that when those cues are triggered. Again, instead of smoking, go for a jog. Instead of eating unnecessary calories, you know, go make an emotional connection, call somebody on the phone, do something more productive. Identify the routine, experiment with rewards, isolate the cue, and have a plan. And if you go through this process of becoming self-aware, you can begin radically transforming your life. If you become aware of yourself and begin to utilize this plan in accordance to the Word of God, I believe you'll begin to see some dramatic changes as you begin to walk naturally according to His perfect will and plan and see more of that rich and satisfying life. And you'll start to see more blessings that maybe you haven't seen before. But as you begin to do the work of becoming aware and changing behaviors, I believe you will discover that before behaviors can really change, guess what? Attitudes have to change. Attitudes have to change. I have been on many yo-yo diets. I've been uh, like health and fitness has been a, like a lifelong battle and journey for me. Actually, uh, last Tuesday, I went to a pastor's meeting. Chris Callahan went with me and I ran into a pastor that used to attend the same church that I, I attended when I, as I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, he was uh, the vice president of the Bible college that I, uh, uh, my wife and I graduated from and he was attending our church. And when I ran into him and, and I went to shake his hand, he didn't really recognize me. So I gave him a minute. I said, yeah, you'll get it. You know, we, we attended church together for a long time. And he's like, are you Jerry? And it's like, no, not Jerry, Joey. He's like, oh, Joey. And then in the thick southern drawl, because the guy's from deep south, he's like, my lands, you lost weight. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Broadcast that out for everybody, you know. You know, th th thank you for that. And uh, what made it more awkward is he slapped my belly at the same time. So, you know, it was just kind of, oh, okay, thanks. All right, you know, I'll go hide in the corner now. You know, and if that wasn't bad enough, when it, he was the keynote speaker, and when he got up to speak, he broadcasted my historic fatness for all the, uh, the rest of the attenders there. So, uh, you know, it's out there, so I can't, I can't hide from it now. But uh, 
I, I've done a lot of different diets. I've done a lot of different exercise routines. And what I've noticed in my own life is that when I had a good attitude, guess what? Good results would transpire. Lots of success. I'd lost weight. I got in shape. But when I had bad attitudes, I had very little to no success. Good habits equal, or good attitudes equal good habits, which equal good success. Bad attitudes equal poor habits to little to no success. And this applies to all areas of our lives, especially in our personal relationships, areas where we seem to struggle the most. Paul said to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, and this is our theme verse for this series. We'll kind of talk about this through the course of the series. Uh, one translation says this. It says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Or in the New Living Translation, it says, we should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. See, God's plan for us was for us to be perfect as he is perfect, holy as he is holy, to be like his son, Jesus. He gave us the Holy Spirit for power so that we could become like his son. And we know when we look at Jesus, not much was known about his childhood, but we know that everyone wanted to be around him everywhere he went. Even at an early age, everyone wanted to be around Jesus, loved Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Luke records this about Jesus as he was growing up in his teenage years. He says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. He grew in favor with God, which means he lived according to God's will and he was blessed by God. And he also experienced favor with all the people, which means he was a blessing to be around. People liked being with him. People were benefited from knowing him. Why? Because he enriched and blessed their lives, and thus they loved him and blessed him in return. You could say Jesus enjoyed a wealth of favor, a wealth of favor. And Paul said here to the church of Philippi, to the Philippians, that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to mirror the attitude that Jesus had. So if Christ's attitude gained him favor with God and with people, what if most of our interpersonal conflicts, either in our families or in our friendships or marriages, places of work or schools, are a result of bad habitudes, bad habits that developed because of bad attitudes? I mean, think about it. If we can turn bad attitudes into bad habits, shouldn't we be able to turn good attitudes into good habits? And what if we could retrain our minds and our emotions to react so naturally when presented with a circumstance that we respond with the same attitude that Jesus Christ had and grow in favor with God and all the people? Then instead of sharp, snappy, rude comments, we would have grace-filled, compassionate speech. Instead of selfish and prideful responses, we'd have sacrificial and loving responses. Instead of greed, we would see generosity. Instead of pain, we'd see healing. Instead of lying, we'd see, in gossip, we'd see people of integrity, truth, and righteousness. And there'd be far less feet to hang out of our mouths, so to speak. Not only would we be honoring God with that kind of attitude, but the people around us would also be blessed by being around us, increasing our favor and blessings at the same time. See, it's important that we identify the habits that we want to change, but it's also vitally important we identify the attitudes driving the behaviors. Because only until we change our attitudes 
or we have the power to truly break free from our bad habitudes. If we would do the hard work to discover the habitudes that are contributing to the struggles that we face, we change one keystone habit at a time, I believe we'll begin to experience a more rich and satisfying life because not only will we be blessed by God, but the people around us will also be more rich and satisfied because of us and in turn bless us as well. The core concept of this message today is this. Favor with God leads to favor with men, and our habitudes will determine the wealth of them. Favor with God leads to favor with men, and our habitudes will determine our wealth of them. Do you want a rich and satisfying life, church? Then you need favor with God and favor with people. Do you want a wealth of favor in your life? the favor of God and the favor of men, then it begins with getting our lives in line, not just with what we believe, but also what the Bible reveals how we should live our lives. So for today, think about this question. What attitudes do you need to change? As you think about your everyday life, what attitudes do you need to change? And then what habits do you need to change that are a result of those attitudes? What attitudes of Christ do you need to turn into habitudes? What things do you need to start doing as opposed to things you need to stop doing? And by identifying those routines and getting to the core of why those habits exist, we can make one keystone change at a time and begin to truly transform our lives. Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at the habitudes of Christ, look at the things that Christ displayed for us and how we can implement them in our lives. But my challenge for you today is this, is to commit to identify one area of your life that needs to be transformed, one habitude, and make that keystone change today. Let's bow our heads in this place for for prayer. As the band begins to play, maybe you're here today. And you have never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know that if you were to die today, that your soul would spend eternity in heaven. That single change will revolutionize your life. Jesus said it's like being born again. And right now, you can make that change by choosing to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Paul said to the church of Rome in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you openly declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And today, you can make that declaration of faith. You can pray to the Lord and ask him to forgive you of your sins, to be your Lord and Savior, and on the authority of the word of God, he will do that. He'll send his Holy Spirit into your heart and begin that transforming work today. And you can do that right here with us as a church. We'll pray this prayer together. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you pray this to him as if he was standing before you in the room. And I guarantee your life would begin a new path today. Pray this. Say, Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I trust in his death and resurrection. He is my Lord and Savior, now and forever. Amen. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just remaining in attitude of prayer, we're going to pray in just a moment. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if you prayed that prayer, you began a relationship with Christ today. In just a moment, I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I prayed that prayer today. I accepted Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. 
thank you. All right, you may put your hands down. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm just so thankful for you. You matter to God. And I hope today that you begin to sense that and see that work in your life. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a church home. You know, sociologists also tell us that attending church together, the families that worship together have far better benefits than those who don't. The couples who worship together actually have longer and happier lives. Children that attend church with their parents actually are promoted to have more pro-social behavior than children that don't. Maybe one keystone habit you need to change today is you need to commit to coming to Vertical Life Church and making this your church home and coming here week after week so you can receive encouragement to your soul as you gather for worship for God's people. We would love to have you and to see you be encouraged as we encourage you and you encourage us on this journey of faith. Whatever your keystone habit is you need to change, I challenge you today to make that commitment. And if you'd like prayer as you begin to make that change, inside your worship guide, there's a connection card. You can fill that connection card out. And in the comment section, write on there what keystone habit. Maybe you accepted Christ today. Maybe you want to come and make Vertical Life Church your home. Whatever habit is that you're going to change, mark that on there. And we will pray with you and for you as you embark on this journey to become more like Jesus. Father in heaven, I thank you for the miracles that you perform every day in our lives. God, your word says that when a sinner repents, you throw a party in heaven. God, and I know for those that raise their hand, the heavens are declaring the glory of our Lord as your love is shining down and falling in this place. God, I thank you for everyone in attendance today. God, I thank you that you give us a plan and a path to live that rich and satisfying life. And I pray, Jesus, that every day we would wake up looking to you and to your word and following your wills and ways. God, I thank you for your love and your grace. God, I thank you that we can celebrate Easter freely in a country that gives us the right to do so. But God, that we can celebrate Easter because Jesus came back from the dead and that one fact determines everything. It makes everything possible. And so we praise you for that sacrifice. We praise you for life. We thank you, Lord. Now be with us as we conclude our service and we go into the egg hunt keep all the little kids safe and as we just fellowship together God I pray that just your glory would be known throughout this community and that all that here of Vertical Life Church would know this is a place where they can encounter the true and living God this we ask in Jesus name Amen